0: Hello and welcome to the Meltdown City Podcast with your host, Nicole Johnson. And Allie Sundet. Our podcast is about reckoning with our restlessness.
1: And figuring out where we wanna go next. We hope to laugh, inspire, connect. Thanks for listening.
0: Woo! woo Okay, Allie, so we met a week ago yeah. or so. What did you think, do you have anything to reflect on from our last week's episode?
1: Yeah, I felt so much better after it was over. There was definitely parts of the story that I felt like I didn't tell, but overall, um, yeah, I feel like one of the funny analogies that I forgot to mention during the the story was that I felt a lot like Cougar from Top Gun. <laughs> I'm sure everyone can recall seeing that movie at some point in their childhood. And there was a scene where Cougar is flying um, with Maverick and his team, and he suddenly has a panic attack, and he just starts sweating profusely. He can't control his plane. He's looking at a picture of his wife and kid. And Maverick figures it out and kind of goes to Cougar's aid and just helps him land. And it was kind of that moment where I was trying to decide if... (laughs) I was going to turn in my wings or if I was going to keep on flying <laughs> and I'm really glad that I decided to turn in my wings just like cougar. Um, so that was a funny little anecdotal thing that I kind of drew as a parallel yeah. a story that I forgot to include. So
0: right. You what decided you? to leave. Yeah. It was time. It was time to go. It was time to go. Had a moment of clarity and mm. yeah, reflection. All right. I, I, Last week, I thought I was, looking back, I thought there was a moment where it was a little hard <laughs> on my co-workers uh, when I was talking about my frustrations, but, you know, I I was in the moment, I was in the heat of it, of, you know, I have a lot of feelings about that whole experience, so, of course, I mean, of course I'm going to say something
2: yeah, that I might think not just, be yeah.
0: um, as palatable, but... Um, Eh, whatever. It's all right. You know, I just was getting my feelings out there. It did feel really good. Didn't it? Yeah, to talk about. Man, that was really awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Awesome to hear. You guys, we have a special guest today. We sure do. She's all the way from Morocco. Um, So our friend, Courtney, lifelong friend, Courtney, we've Mm -hmm. been friends
2: with since we were Middle school? For, well, Nicole and your sister, we you, the three of us have known each other since first grade. Yes. I think, since uh-huh. First and second grade. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, Allie came in when this, when the elementary schools converged in middle school. Mm-hmm. So sixth grade. So the whole team since age 11. So about 30, 30 years, three decades. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. So much richness just in this. Just... So much evolution and development that we see in each other.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and...
2: Courtney, do you go by Coco? Or? I mean, I do go by Coco. But I go by Coco in the non-English speaking world because nobody can say three consonants <laughs> together outside Courtney. of English. Courtney. It turns into Corny. <laughs> or, or Corny. Kuni. 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 Or, or just no, no recollection of what my name is. So, Coco. <laughs> so I tell people when I'm in Morocco, like if I make a dinner reservation at a French restaurant or in Arabic, I tell them Coco, like Coco Chanel. I love it, <laughs> and then they, they laugh. But then I also, in the in the Arabic dialect, cocoa is actually can be pronounced cow cow, which means peanut. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I'm just peanut, A peanut, or an elegant, <laughs> or an reference. elegant French designer, <laughs> right? Shapeshifter.
1: That is so
0: awesome! Oh um, my
1: god,
2: I love it.
0: <clears throat> Courtney, how did you end up living full time in Morocco? Was that always your plan?
2: No, no, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was not my plan, but it was not necessarily, uh, like, there was a little bit of, of, of destiny in it, I'd say, because what I tell people when I'm in Morocco is, is when I was 20 years old and I was living in, in um, Spain, Ali Sendit here, and our other friend Melanie, uh, <clears throat> we went down and did a trip for two weeks uh, in Morocco. And spent two weeks all hideous, kinky style, bumming around, and we, we rolled into Fez, the ancient walled city, which was established in 800.. <clears throat> Sorry. And, uh, and, and it was you know, it was just like Indiana Jones, and I have always wanted to be Indiana Jones. <laughs> and so I thought, this might be my spirit home." And at age 20, I was like, "I want to come back and live here someday." So that was twenty years ago, right? And so then I, you know, had this life and lived in D.C. and New York and then Qatar. And when I was in Qatar and trying to figure out what I should do next, because um, I'd spent four years in Qatar, which we can talk about. It's, it's a interesting place to live in. But I was trying to figure out my next. I was trying to figure out my next move. And I had a friend who had studied Arabic in Fez, in the walled city in Morocco. And she was like, "Why don't you just go to Morocco?" And live there. You love it and you've been going back there over the years, so why don't you move there? And I was like, I can't move there. What are you talking about? I like do what? Mm -hmm. And she was like, It doesn't matter. You've saved up a bunch of money in Qatar and you don't have kids and you don't have a family and you can do whatever you want. I was like, Maybe I can do whatever I want. Right. Wait a second. So she just like put this little seed in my head and then How many years ago was that? So that was I've I've been in Morocco for almost four years. So that was like five years, five and a half years ago, because I started to germinate before I left. So Mm -hmm. probably in year three in Qatar, she put it in there. And then I started to think, okay, so how can I actually make this happen, right? Like I'm in Qatar, I run a legal program at a foundation there. I have a a traditional job, I've got staff and I'm doing like, you know, high-powered stuff. And I'm just gonna, at age 38, I guess, or like 37, 38, just be like, I'm out. And so I had to kind of wrap my mind around that. And then I had to figure out, okay, I guess I can do that, right? Like, like I, that's possible. And so how do I get to Morocco then? And so that's when I thought, well, like, I need a legitimate vehicle to get me there. So a legitimate vehicle would be to want to do my PhD. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked into doing that and then left Qatar and moved to, to Fez where I started intensive Arabic study because I really wanted to do Arabic. And so I, I arrived in the walled city at the at this institute there. So at age 39, 38, 39. I start my Arabic classes with a bunch of 22-year-olds. And my my social circle in this medieval city that is a little bit like Narnia yes. <laughs> was Coco, the 38-year-old, just <laughs> killing it with a bunch of 22-year-olds right out of undergrad. So, like, you know, I don't even know if they're millennials or younger than millennials, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we were all just in class studying Arabic and then going back and living in this crazy Riyadh, which is like a palace, right, in a medieval palace. in the Riyadh where we were living in was owned by a French count and his British playwright wife. So it's like just an eccentric city, right? So, So I did that, and I was trying to do my PhD, but really what I and then what I've come to realize or what came to me was that the phd idea was the you know quote unquote acceptable way for me to go from a traditional uh, traditional lifestyle into a non-traditional lifestyle right. like I needed that and then once I got there and kind of got my sea legs I was able to be like, do I really want to do a, a PhD? and then I had to like have a long hard conversation with myself and be like that was actually the means to getting here and I don't want to do that I want to do other stuff
0: that that's incredible Courtney (laughs) um it's interesting I think that you almost had to give yourself permission that vehicle is like your permission to do that and something that you could tell people that that's what you were doing so that was there any bit of that where you felt like you needed if you couldn't like you couldn't say to your family hey family I'm just gonna go hang out in Morocco and study fluent Arabic and in french and
2: that's what i'm gonna do for a right. while right that you, would not have been acceptable how would, how
0: would, how <laughs> like like that.
2: It. but what was interesting is 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 when i was talking with my sister about this we i have a dear friend that uh that i worked with in new york when i was working for an ngo uh in new york and he was telling my sister he's like wow your sister takes pretty hardcore risks she's kind of a risk taker and kelsey was like courtney's not a risk taker like she's 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 falls got her head screwed on straight and he's like she in her late 30s like gave up a really high paying job in a in a formal environment where she's you know working with like you know international agencies to just go to morocco right and just do that he's like that's fairly risky Mm -hmm. so i didn't even think of like i didn't at that time i was not thinking of that as risky, I, I look back and I'm like, okay, there's a degree of risk there, right? Because the, then the first year in, in Morocco, I did a couple, like I did one or two consultancies where I made like very little money, but I was living on money that I had saved from, you know, from Qatar and I had no job prospects. So I was just going to Morocco and I was going to hope to find something, right? <clears throat> and so I guess that was sort of risky at the time. It didn't seem too risky, but but to allay that kind of that riskiness, there was the the I need something that is le- like legitimate legitimate and credible, and then I could eventually let it go yeah, but it was but it very much probably influenced by external factors and my own like i I needed something for myself that would be legitimate so that I didn't feel like I was just a,
0: hanging out hanging and- out
2: and just like dumping it all right I mean <laughs> yeah, that seemed kind of kind of nuts so but but I so then when I got to Morocco, I had to kind of work through. All of that, right? I had to work yeah. through what it meant then to be in Rocco. For the first couple of years, everybody was like, so when are you coming back? Like, when is this, you know, when is this kind of little uh, sojourn there going to end and you're going to come back to the United States and, like, be a little bit more serious and do something a little bit more relatable? I'm like, I don't know that I'm ever coming back. Like... My my intention at this point is to do is to eventually get to a point where I'd be half of the time there and half of the time here because I don't necessarily feel like I could ever. I mean, who knows? I mean, you never know what happens in your life. So going back to your original question, was it a plan? It's not exactly a plan. It's more of this like intention or kind of um, orientation. So mm-hmm. yeah. so sort of like you know, my my spiritual advisor in Morocco talks about what's called the Qibla in Arabic, and, it's, and that's your compass and your direction. So I think, you know, I've, I try to set my direction, and then the path to that direction certainly takes twists and turns that you have no idea uh, what those will look like, but you're eventually going towards that North Star. So I think that that was, that was the North Star set at age 20 that I forgot about for years and then came back to and came back to. Mm. Yeah. It was already planted. Yeah, I guess it was, yeah, already planted. But, like, I, I love Joseph Campbell, and so, and I think, I, you know, and it, like, doesn't, I have my little quote list on Evernote. Use Evernote as a tool for organization. And so I have my go-to quotes, and then I have a separate file just for Joseph Campbell because I love him so much. And uh, and he says that you've got to, you know, you've got to let go of the life that you've planned to Lead the life that you are meant to lead, something like that. And that's a total butchering of the quote, but it's basically there's meaning there. There's meaning. <laughs> I got there. it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like you can't. I. I don't. I. I. You know. I don't. I, I had, I've over the years certainly had massive anxiety about that, right? Like I, as I was moving to Morocco and living a very, very different life, I have friends who were, you know, from my New York and DC days who were becoming, you know, political appointees of deputy assistant secretaries of state for European affairs at you know, or being, you know, named as heads of, of departments in, 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 you know, top 25 universities. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This is not what I'm doing. And then I just had to kind of Circle back and be like, but is that is that what you want or is that what you think you you should want or that what everybody else would would identify as success. So the first, you know, a couple like the first year in Morocco, first two years in Morocco, but the first year in Morocco was like major transition. Uh, like internal like what is who am I what am I doing is this am I in the path that I want to be on because it was such a massive transition like I say that going from New York to Doha Qatar was less of a rupture than going from Doha Qatar to Morocco to Fez and Rabat in Morocco because it's just a totally different way of living yeah. and my life <clears throat> changed and it's pretty
1: massive, basically. <laughs> majorly. Yeah. So it sounds like I mean I've heard you say this
2: before that you were living an authentic life. So and that came from so so my mother, um, you know, in my thirties, there there was questions of why am I not married? Why don't I have children? And my um, and when I'd have these conversations with my parents, who have like been my best interest at heart, they just love me so much, and I and they and I'd be like, but. Why do you like? Why do you? What does it matter if I have kids or am married or not? Like, what are you really asking? And right. and they would be like, well, we just want you to be happy. And I'm like, why don't you ask that question? Yeah. Do, you, do you think I'm I, I am happy? Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm really happy, and I understand that you derived so much happiness out of that that experience of children and 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 that's beautiful. And I would never take that away from you. But I, I think it's I think that like I am super happy, mm-hmm. right? And I, at this and around the same time, I listen to the Moth podcast. I listen to mm-hmm. that because I love the story based. Uh, Mm podcast and there was a story of a woman who was who was working with end-of-life patients Mm -hmm. right she was doing hospice work and she said that she had a conversation with a woman that that deeply moved her and it was and and it was this conversation about authenticity it's not did you lead a happy life it's not that did you lead a life full of tragedy did you lead like all of these emotions if you're going to have all of those emotions you're going to be miserable you're going to be frustrated you're going to be joyful you're going to have all of it Right. But the question is, are you leading an authentic life and the life that, that you that is authentic to who you are? Because nobody can 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 challenge that. Only you can set for yourself what is truly authentic to who you are. So when I told when I recounted that to my mother and I was like, I'm leading an authentic life. She was like, it just clicked. and She was like, OK, I got it. Your authentic life is not my authentic life. And that's not and there's no competition and there's no you know that's you and I have my authentic life and you know and so, so that's kind of I definitely think that I'm leading an authentic life and what do you think about living in the Middle East I, I mean I, I I love living over there because I and I've now lived over there full-time for eight years and I come back to the US twice a year I come back in August and I come back at Christmas time and I think that by living over there I have a different perspective about my country, about myself, about my friends, about my family, about the world that that helps me like on my journey in life. Mm-hmm. So I am grateful for, because it's also like I'm constantly looking at at the life that I'm leading over there and comparing it with the life that I lead here and they're very different experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm able to, you know, every time I come back to the U.S., I kind of have a new insight about what it is to be in the U.S. And what it is for me to be an American in the U.S. versus an American outside. So I really like this, this ability to, you know, to change my perspective. Shape sure Yeah. Maybe
0: uh, not really, but maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, what I know that there was something that launched you over to Morocco. Oh. Was that? Would you call it a little bit of a crisis there that you had in Doha Kay. with your crazy work, ex- yeah, work experience?
2: Yeah. So that definitely. So. I would say that's one of my major life crises, right? And that was because I left. I went to I went to Qatar after 3 years in New York, and I loved New York and I had an amazing time in New York and uh, but I wanted to be in the Middle East. I mean, that was I studied, I did Islamic studies and I, you know, I was studying Arabic and I wanted to be in that region. And so I went to Qatar and I worked for an agency called Education Above All, which was founded by the then queen of the country, Sheikha Moza, who is an international advocate for education. And so I I arrived there to set up uh, a legal program. Um, But and and I have a lot of great legal background, but I didn't I didn't necessarily have the I didn't know. The ins and outs of specifically international humanitarian law international criminal law and international human rights law as they intersected in education in conflict so i had to like learn the substantive area of the law to be then able to set up a, a program but my colleagues in in the in the newly established institution or in the in the new ngo they had been working in that specific field for like 20 years so they knew exactly what they were doing so i arrived And had no idea what I was doing, which is demoralizing. And on top of it, everyone around me knew exactly what they were doing and looked at me like, "Oh, you poor thing, you, you're, 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 you're kind of less than us, but somehow on the same level, but you shouldn't be." You've been let in. You've been let in the back door accident, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" So I spent like, I so it was this unbelievable time of complete self-doubt, right? I mean, I doubted myself to like, and then on top of it, Qatar is just such a. Crazy place, and 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 my and my like work situation was so intense, and I, it was really challenging uh, to work there with some of my colleagues. I had some wonderful colleagues, and then I had some colleagues that were really challenging for me. Um, and so I just would come home after a day of trying desperately to know my field and know what I was supposed to do, and feeling like no one believed in me or trusted me or thought that I was smart or thought that I could do this right and so I and it was and it was just crisis right and and I would go to Morocco once or during that time twice a year because I was in such a crisis state and I'd sit with my spiritual advisor in Morocco and the one thing that he like I've known him now for 12 years the one thing that he would do that was so critical to me is he this you know big guy who would Wise the king of Morocco and who's, you know, on top of the game, would look at little old me and say, I believe in you. And that was what kind of kept me going, right? Yeah. And he would just say, you're going to be okay, and I believe in you, and you're, and you're going to do this. So I think what the most important thing was is that I could have, I could have, there were many times, like I was in Qatar for four years, and so for the first two years, it was, it was like pretty, pretty demoralizing, and I was freaked out right and in those two years I could have left I mean the the conditions in the work environment were so nutty and kind of nuts that I could totally leave but the good thing was that at the end of those four years I felt like I knew my stuff I became hyper competent in that area and I've made it through a total like, one of the largest, like, professional crises of my life. And I could Mm -hmm. then come out on the other end and look back and say, wow, I actually was able to come out. I know, which is so important. Like, I I feel like that helped me realize that if any crisis comes up, I can overcome it, right? Like, there's nothing that's going to beat me down to the point where I can't move forward move forward mm-hmm. right and that's a really good quote and again i've just butcher quotes but maybe you maybe after this you can do like a little like show notes right Yeah, yes. all these put the what's the, uh, there. happening there's like a, a buddhist austrian who um, who talks about like you need to get to, like you need to keep going deep into the into into the into the obstacles and into the crisis because you need to know your like that shows you your power. Mm-hmm. The deeper you go and the more absolutely, you know, insurmountable the challenges, and the more you're able to to surmount them, the more you just feel your power and know that you are like you understand the limitlessness of yourself.
0: It's like head towards the obstacle. Head, the obstacle head is into the, way. Head.
2: the obstacle is the way. Oh my god, I love it. Absolutely, Jesus. Yeah, this is gold. <laughs> I know what's gold. I know what's
1: um, Courtney, now yeah. that you're there, and it sounds like you're on this trajectory. you just finding yourself. Yeah. On this journey, what well, anything surprise you? Any self-discovery moments that just surprised you that you never could have you know, realize anticipated. Yeah. You know, and unless you came to, to Morocco and started following your heart.
2: Yeah. I mean, so man, a lot, <laughs> <laughs> many <laughs> on a <laughs> daily <laughs> basis. <laughs> My sister is always like, this is just another one of your like totally amazing experiences. <laughs> Another one of those. <laughs> I guess like, Kelsey, it is another life-changing moment today. Yeah, it's happening. So yeah, I mean, one of the things was I didn't realize that um, until I got over there. Thank you. That uh, there's you, there like there's a major transition between. One way of life where I was getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, and I was going to the, or I was at the office at seven o'clock in the morning, and I'm working all day, and I've got, you know, my bosses are telling me that I need to get this paper done, and I've got these deadlines, and I've got this over here, and I'm juggling everything, but all of everything is coming at me, right? And everyone is telling me to do X, Y, and Z by this deadline, and I'm I'm writing and I'm producing and I'm, but I'm, but I'm also. <coughs> But I'm also, uh, like, you know, not, I don't feel like I have any opportunity to think about what I'm doing or to reflect or to spend time seeing how it all fits together. And so when I went to Morocco and I didn't have all of that and I could get up whenever I wanted, right, and I could read whatever I wanted and I could decide that I wanted to write this or I could decide not to, um... And during that first year, it was, and it continues to be, like a, a process of, I feel like I'm consuming. Okay. I feel like I take Arabic lessons and I take French lessons and I am reading Books and reading articles and i'm listening to my podcasts and i'm just and i'm and i'm consuming information and so there were various times along the way to, ver- to varying degree of, of of like anxiety which is all i'm doing is consuming what am i producing what am i putting out in the world like what is my contribution and i think that that has like i still struggle with that like i need to not just consume i need to put something out there and and um and, and contribute something and I think that part and there's all these reasons why I don't like with you know w- with writing it takes me ages to write because I my process is so tortured right and everybody probably says that but like oh my gosh I should be writing more articles but every article takes me forever to write right or mm-hmm. I should be doing I should 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 right it's just shitting, shitting shitting the shit out of myself right <laughs> so, so like let me just like stop that and be okay with the fact that right now, I am reading and I am listening. So that's, but then also what I did find that allowed me to do is is like really reflect and really be way more mindful in a way that was way more intentional and way more connected. And part of that is that like my by the way I live there is just totally different, right? So like I get up in the morning and I do, I try to do an hour of my Sufi practice meditation Right. And, and I find that when I do that, like my my mind, obviously you're trying to empty your mind and not focus on the chaos around it. But I find that the quality of my thoughts are different. And I have and, and, and it took me forever to even realize that the quality of my thoughts during that period are different. Right. Like I had to because I had to get to the point where I was even reflect, like, you know, cognizant and aware of that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I. Uh, you know, it'd take a little bit more time also to be like as I'm, you know, walking to the tram to to check in with myself, you know, so and those, and, that, and it, it's because I have the space to do that. When I was in Qatar working as much and like I was sick three times, majorly sick three times a year, I was not getting enough sleep. My I was really stressed out and I didn't have the bandwidth to check in with myself not only check a check in with myself but then check in with everything around me and see how it was all connecting and be really mindful of that so that was those are two really big epiphanies for me
1: <laughs> do you so you so you went to where you wanted to be
2: yeah you had
1: the financial means to support yourself in therefore you kind of gave yourself the space to think and connect with your surroundings do you have any recommendations for folks that don't have that liberty, <laughs> <laughs> like people like Kelsey and myself? Right. who are still working full time, have right.
2: children,
1: and, you know, and right. families and right. commitments right. That, and responsibilities. You right. know, that could get a piece of that, like a window into that. You right. know, like because there's there's this awareness and quality of thoughts that you're talking about that seems really transcendent and very important. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when people find, when people are doing what they love, they're living a happier life. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to, uh, like a path where, for for folks that can't take a risk quite that large?
2: So I think that like, and again, I I can only speak to my experience and say this is what's been working for me. And this is kind of my, because I, I don't, I mean, I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. I don't, I mean, you know, I, I I don't know the, the pressures and I and, and what that is, and I can and I know only through my the stories of my friends like how that feels like you're holding up the world, right? Mm-hmm. So what I can say is that I think that it probably starts again, and, I know, and this is a very you know kind of pat uh, uh, analogy, but seriously, you put the oxygen mask on yourself. And then you can put the oxygen mask on your child. Yeah. Right? And I think that folks... Do not do that. That's so true. Um, my sister Kelsey uh, recently. She full, works full time and she's got two kids and she's living with the parents and you, you know, I mean, in a good way, and, you know, and like you know, she's, she's building. Oh. <laughs> she's not like, like no, up. Yeah.
0: Never going Never down. by choice.
2: Uh, <laughs> right? She's building. They have a build on the property. Like she's got. She's you know, her little basket is pretty full and she then recently uh like you know has a has a sciatica or like is pretty debilitated and I feel like part of that is because her body is telling her like is 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 unilaterally saying you're not paying attention to me mm-hmm. and I'm gonna make you pay attention to me right yeah so and she's like I don't know how to pay attention to you like I don't know how right mm-hmm. so I feel like you it's it's you know you got to Check in with yourself and fi- and make the make it, like, it is hard work. Like, all of this, like, meditate, like, and, you know, I think my family and pot- potentially my friends are like, oh, yeah, I blissed out, Courtney, coming back, and just, like, riding that way. <laughs> it's on the way into work. Take 10 minutes as you're going into work and check in and be like, what do I need? I recently led a, a, a trip in, in Morocco. Uh, I, I led a trip with a, a scholar at Duke University called Illuminated Tours. And we bring people uh, from around the world. So anybody anybody's who's interested can can email me. Um, bring them to Morocco for two weeks, and we do a spiritual educational trip. And we you know facilitate interactions with with you know amazing Moroccan artisans and spiritual leaders, and 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 also at the same time create this community for two weeks. One of my friends on that trip. Uh, has two kids, husband lives in Boston. And the agreement before they got married was that she, every year would be able to take a solo trip for at least two weeks. Kids stay at home. She checks in with them maybe in the evenings and that's it. Yeah. And she does that and she knows that that is what she has to do. Yes. To, to maintain. <laughs> to, survive. That's to survive. absolutely right, <laughs> And she, that is not negotiable. Right? Good. For her. And I've got another friend uh, in Texas who every year, she's a high powered financial advisor. And every year she goes up to Alberta, to Banff, mm-hmm. for about a week and is in nature by herself. She's got four kiddos. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I salute you, Sayonara. husband. Sayonara. I'm out for this time. And yeah. recharges her batteries. Good. and I think that's good to do that like have a major capstone like you um, know kind of kind of project like that but I also think the folks need to get in the habit of daily checking in and just carving yes. just carving that time out right yeah, like you even if it's like, just 10 minutes mm-hmm. yes even if it's just 10 minutes mm-hmm. and I'm like and the thing is is it takes work like I come to Seattle like from Morocco I can do that in Morocco because I live you know I mean it's my life over there's a lot more pieced out I come here and I'm living with my parents and my sister and her two kids and we're up at 6 and I have a little taste of all of this yeah. and I lose it. Have I done have I done my soupy practice in the morning since I've been home? No. Right. And I need to get but I it's like but I'm not going to beat myself up about it but I'm like okay, today where can I put that in there because that's critical and I feel it and I mm-hmm. need to bring it back in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I need to just, Thank you. Yeah.
1: That's really good. But also you it's need to have friends that are
2: reminding yourself, right? Right. right. Like again, so I'm going to impart a little bit of Sufi wisdom here. So like the in 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 Sufi Islam, which is the mystical branch of of Islam, there's this thing called dhikr. Dhikr Allah, which means like remembrance of the divine, of the mm-hmm. beloved, mm-hmm. right? And the, the then I meditate on this. Like remembering, you forget. You need to be reminded. That is like a gift. You need to rem, you need to have the Conditions and if we bring a little behavioral science, conditions around you that are helping you, mm-hmm. that are reminding you mm-hmm. of yourself and reminding you of what you need to do. Because mm-hmm. you can't hold it all in. So mm-hmm. you want to create those conditions of remembrance and reminding. Mm-hmm. Thank help you.
0: you. Yeah. Thanks. For <laughs> wow. I <laughs> am <lot> better. <laughs> Now you know what to ask Andro for. Yeah. (laughs) Two weeks by yourself. (laughs) Be so, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, he would say yes to that. I'm sure he would. Um
2: Oh, I have a more traditional question Please. for Courtney.
0: What is it that you actually do for a living?
2: <laughs> what do I do for? A, this is a question that has stymied people for ages.
1: Right? <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody They're knows. Old. Nobody knows. She's a she's a <laughs> religious scholar. No, she's famous. She's got her own television show. So she
2: consults <laughs> to the UN. Yeah. So when I left Casar, so <laughs> in Casar I had a more traditional uh, existence, and I was a legal program manager. So I was, I was the head of a legal program, right? And when I moved to Morocco, I didn't know what was going to happen, right? I knew I was there. I knew that I was studying Arabic and French. So what I do every year is a couple times a year, is I send my parents and my family. And our friend, Melanie Women Hour, (laughs) an email that details what I'm doing with my CV, my resume, so uh that everybody kind of has a sense of basically what I'm up to. Um, And actually, I've got a friend in Morocco, uh, Selma, who when I was telling her, and this is also like not a crisis, but like I was like, Selma, what am I supposed to tell people I do? This conversation is so impossible. And she's like, tell them you do stuff. (laughs) And I was like, what? And she's like, No. Tell him you do awesome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's like, you don't need to explain yourself to anyone. And I'm like, Selma, you kick it. So what I do? So when I so when I left my traditional job and went with no plan, that opened up all sorts of doors and mm-hmm. opened up all sorts of possibilities that I had no idea would come into my life. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, so I am able to study Arabic intensively and I'm able to study French intensively, right? So during the month of July, I, I really kick it into high gear and I do five hours a day of, of just language study. And then, you know, so I, I could open up that part. And what that then in turn engendered was that I, this year, had a, uh, an Arabic Program on Moroccan TV, so it was the first American woman to to write and and to star in her own Moroccan television program in classical Arabic, which was called Hello so Hey, thank that you. Was that, so bad. that, that was that, was, that, was, that was Hey, thank first you. First woman. That's amazing. American woman. American, American woman. woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that was, and I had 10 episodes They were super short, only six, uh, six minutes each episode, but, and I'd never done TV and it was the brainchild of a friend that a Moroccan friend who was a journalist and we'd hang out, you know, and, and have a cup of coffee and talk about all sorts of stuff. And she was like, I want you to talk about all this stuff on TV in classical Arabic. Like people who look like you are not speaking in classical Arabic about these things. So that'd be kind of weird. And I was like mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my god." So I was like, "I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't think my Arabic is good enough. I don't think I can do that." No, 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 right? And she's like, "It's fine." And I was like, "So so basically, I just started to write and I and I and I'm compelled by stories, right? Like I so I wanted to because I have these amazing conversations with my Moroccan friends all the time and we talk about these themes. And so I was like, basically all I need to do is like take what I'm doing and make it into a show, right? So I would choose a theme and then present a story on that theme on the Moroccan, my experience in Morocco, and then juxtapose it with my American experience. So, for example, I did a show on violence. And so I started out saying, like, you know, I come back to the United States twice a year. And when I tell my Moroccan friends, when I tell the Moroccan taxi driver, when I tell the Moroccan vegetable seller, I'm like, I'm going back to the U.S. for a month. And there, it was just like, <gasps> oh my god, aren't you kind of freaked out? Aren't you afraid? You guys have so many guns and you're killing kids in schools and so violent. And I'm like, right. oh yeah, okay, yeah. And then I would come back to the United States and I'm like, I live in Morocco. Oh my god, aren't you like living in the seething cauldron of terrorism? And aren't you afraid to walk out of your apartment because your gonna be exploded on? Right? Yeah. Different themes. So that was kind of. I didn't expect to do that. So that's one thing that I did. I also work for an Institute of um, of Islamic Scholars of Morocco, and I do special research projects. And I do that. I'm kind of on retainer for the Institute there, which is affiliated with the Ministry of Religious Affairs. And then I also do international contracts around, around human rights. So, I, right now I'm doing a project with the UN's Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights and my former Qatari uh, agency around human rights in Palestine, Tunisia, and Egypt and the right to education. And I am leading this, uh, co leading this program called Illuminated Tours with my Duke colleague and uh, building that out in Morocco. So, trying to do an educational, spiritual program. And I am also writing a book. uh, It started, again, half of the the stuff that I'm doing starts by accident and then is, like, spun into something cool, right? So I, I, I can tell the story, yeah. Okay, so I, on my last, no, let me see, in my 40th year, soon after I turned 40, I was, I sent an email to my dad and my brother-in-law and my sister and my mom, saying, oh, I listened to this really cool TED talk with the economist Alex Tabarrok, and he was talking about open, and he's a libertarian. My dad, Mad Dog, is pretty conservative, and, and I was like, you know, Mad Dog, this, this libertarian guy, you know, believes that we should open up financial markets like, around the world so that, you know, the, the guy from the village has the opportunity to be who he has the potential to be rather than be trapped and, you know, and not be able to, to, to you know, realize his potential. So my dad wrote back and was like, I don't see what much of the third world has has given to civilization other than sitting on an oil reserve. And I was like, oh, mad dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one for me to hear. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my usual practice is his commie socialist (laughs) left-wing... You know, Middle East, living and loving daughter. Yeah. is to is to send an email just full of research, <laughs> <and> evidence based facts, <laughs> and show him that he is incorrect, right? And that never works. It doesn't work with me. It doesn't work when somebody right. is going to try to just like you know beat me down with their facts. Yeah. So I was like, that is not working. What can I do that might be a little bit more connective? Because that other ultimately is totally alienating. That would serve to further distance us right so i thought what can i do and i was like you know what i can do i can write my dad an email a weekly email where i explore and tell him the story of something that he taught me and that i learned from him Uh and connect it with something that we learn and as like a contribution from islamic civilization and see and and put him and connect him with Islamic civilization through story, oh. right? And so I just sent my, the first email to him, and I mean I did this I started like a year ago, and so the first one was about education, right? And so I started it by you know talking about how important education is in our family and how mm-hmm. you know Granddad had an eighth grade education and. And then Mad Dog went on and almost got his Ph.D. and how, you know, he is so interested in my education and stud- he himself studied languages. So, of course, I'm studying languages into my 40s and, I'm, you know, this, this like role of educational lives. And then I loop it into in Fez, where I lived for a year, it was the oldest continuously uh, operating university. It's called al Qarawiyyin, And it was founded in, in like the late 800s by a lady. Wow. who came over fatima al who came over and was like we need we need a fully functioning university world class library and mosque together spiritual educational needs and she built this you know this this university that continues to be one of the most important centers of learning in the middle east and and when when islamic civilization was at its pinnacle like in you know in the middle ages um that university was the equivalent of you know oxford or mm-hmm. harvard right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I then tell that story, and I lo- and I connect my dad with Fatima Fehriya directly, right? So like she apparently would would sit there and and, and was managing as a, you know construction manager and was managing managing the the construction of the of the of the university. And I was like, my Dad, that just sounds like you down there at the barn, like managing. Construction down there. <laughs> you and old Fatima might have something to talk about, That's right? right? So I've been doing that, and I've now written fourteen stories. And again, they, I'm connecting my dad mm-hmm. to this part of the world that he thinks he has nothing yeah. in common with, and that he is, you know, disparaged to some extent. And but through these really, really intimate and and like darling stories, like you know, of our of our of my of being his daughter. So I'm shopping that around and hope to you know find somebody that wants to publish those stories. That's cool. So congratulations, Courtney. That's Thank so you. exciting! Oh, and the All last thing that I'm yeah. doing is a movie. I'm gonna uh, oh, produce oh a God, movie, God. a documentary uh, with uh, with colleagues on Sufi women in Morocco. So right now we're trying to find the ladies that we want to talk about about their, you know their their journey with their spirituality in Morocco and gender and Islam and stuff like that. I so, love it. Oh, yeah.
1: so exciting and rich
2: and so
0: inspirational. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for. Being on our show today, I'm yeah. so grateful that you got to come and share your story. One of, I mean, Courtney has a million stories, so mm-hmm. hopefully you'll be back.
2: Yay! Yeah. Thank you. I had a
0: great time, you guys. Um, so, if you want to find us, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Meltdown City Podcast, and also you can email us at meltdowncitypodcast@gmail.com. Okay, see you next time, guys. Thanks for hanging. Thanks, Court. Thanks for tuning in today. Please follow us on Instagram at Meltdown City Podcast, or you can email us at meltdowncitypodcast at gmail.com, or you can check us out on our website at meltdowncitypodcast.com.
1: Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.